Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available Pro-Access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. What actually goes on in the Bermuda Triangle? Do more ships and airplanes disappear within its borders than they do elsewhere, on or above the open sea? And if they are disappearing, where the hell do they go? Are the disappearances a result of methane gas eruptions from under the sea floor, quickly and radically changing the density of both the water and the sky above it, momentarily taking away both a ship's ability to float and a plane's ability to soar above the water? Is some strange electromagnetic field to blame, wreaking havoc on compasses and navigation instruments and possibly even causing dimensional transmutations, time warps, and time tunnels? Are there wormholes leading to unknown destinations in this mysterious section of the North Atlantic? Rifts in the space-time continuum? Are UFOs to blame? Were the missing taken by some extraterrestrial race we know little to nothing about? Is Lucifina to blame? Time-suck devil, Satan's sister, and wreaker of havoc on the high seas? Or is it all a bunch of bullshit? Are Bermuda Triangle disappearances just a result of Mother Nature, mechanical failure, decades of journalistic sensationalism, no more dangerous or mysterious than any other place in the world, Let's find out as we suck on this multifaceted mystery. Let's grab the Bermuda Triangle by the balls and really suck. Allow our minds to go to both the strange and the scientific in this two-sided and surreal edition of Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Hello, Time Suckers. I'm Dan Cummins, and you are listening to Time Suck. Whether you're a new listener or a returning member of the Cult of the Curious, welcome. Glad you're here, future space lizard. Hope you are uh, excited and eager to learn something new and hopefully have a lot of fun doing it. Learning and funning together. Let's get some funning done. I just found out funning is a real world, a real word, by the way, and I love it. Uh, So get ready to pay a little less attention to your day job and a little more attention to your inquisitive nature. Thank you so much for all the recent uh, iTunes reviews again. Man, they are pouring in and it makes me feel fucking great. Love to know that our strange little clubhouse is expanding. Hail Nimrod! Closing in on 1,400 reviews, uh, which will keep those bonus episodes rolling on in. Just rolling on in. And speaking of bonus episodes, time for another Instagram vote to determine uh, what the November 3rd episode is going to be. I'd like to offer up some runner-ups from the last two bonus episode votes. That feels right, right? How about either the Zodiac Killer, 
the mysterious plane hijacker, D.B. Cooper, or if you want to go in a totally different direction, how about something I've gotten a lot of emails about recently, America's gun control debate. And I truly will not pick sides on this debate. Uh, I want to present uh, info regarding our current gun laws, history of gun laws, you know, stats regarding if it is actually more dangerous or not to have them as accurately as possible, right? Want to be open and fair. Uh, I, I both love personally the right to bear arms and, and I respect those who don't want anything to do with guns, right? So follow the suck on Instagram and, uh, and start voting now under the bonus suck post. Voting will end Friday, October 27th at midnight Pacific Daylight Time. Get curious, get engaged, practice those future space lizard skills by helping determine the direction of the show. Uh, thanks to Time Suckers and Future Space Lizards who came out to Jersey, uh, including longtime member of the Bojangles research team, Sarah Lilly. And, and yes, New York Time Suckers, I, I'm working on getting a show in the city for 2018. Finally, I know many of you uh, have no interest in, in heading over to Jersey when there are a million comedy venues in Manhattan and Brooklyn. Uh, coming up for the rest of the year, I'm going to be at the Dayton, Ohio Funny Bone, November 2nd to the 5th, Spokane Comedy Club, Spokane, Washington, November 9th through the 11th, Dr. Grins in Grand Rapids, Michigan, November 30th through December 2nd, St. Louis Funny Bone in St. Louis, Missouri, December 7th through the 10th, Comedy Club on State in Madison, Wisconsin, December 14th through 16th, and Comedy Works in Denver, Colorado, December 8th through New Year's Eve. And if you have trouble with ticketing on any of those places, just call the venue. Uh, yeah, I just have no control over them getting their shit together sometimes. And, you know, sometimes I don't have my shit together. But, but yeah, just call the venue. Uh, I'm, on, I'm on the books for those dates at all those places, and uh, they'll get you squared away with some tickets. Now, let's get mysterious. Let's get Yamo time sucked. Let's grab Bojangles by the tail, and let's get lost in the Bermuda Triangle. Okay, so let's kick this off by defining just exactly where the hell the Bermuda Triangle is located. Uh, turns out it's about two to three inches inside of Gary Busey's butthole. Now you know, mystery solved. Many a ship and a plane have got lost inside the Busey's colon. No, the Bermuda Triangle, also known as the Devil's Triangle, is located wherever two men having sex with one woman give each other a double high five. Wait. Never mind, that's the Devil's Threesome. Totally different triangle. Uh, good luck explaining that one, uh, parents. <laughs> uh, hey, kids. I, uh, God, I thought we were, we were just going to be talking about the Bermuda Triangle today. I thought this was going to be a safe one. Uh, Devil's, <laughs> Devil's Threesome is, uh, is some nonsense that, that Cummins made up. He's a degenerate. And he's a liar. He's a liar. You know that. So no more questions. Just no more. Don't no more. Don't ever say that term again. No more talk about it. Just listen to the rest of the episode. Be quiet. Uh, no, for real this time. Uh, no more funning uh, with where it is. The Bermuda Triangle, uh, which truly sometimes is called the Devil's Triangle, is an area of the North Atlantic. It uh, can be found by drawing three lines. The first between Miami, Florida, San Juan, Puerto Rico. Uh, positive thoughts, man, for all the people in Puerto Rico, man, too, by the way, man. Fucking devastated over there. So there's lots of GoFund camp- campaigns and all, all different stuff on the web. If you do a quick Google, you can, you can figure that out. Uh, the second line is between San Juan and Bermuda. Final line connect is, is between Bermuda and Miami. So that's a triangle. Uh, Bermuda, for reference, is about 900 miles east of Charleston, South Carolina, about 700 miles south of the southernmost uh, coast of Nova Scotia, Nova Scotia being just east of Maine, if you know nothing of Canadian geography. And it really does form uh, a nice little triangle there, a, a big one. And while there are a fair amount of islands between Miami and Puerto Rico, um, there, there, you know, the many, many islands of the Bahamas, you know, Turks and Caicos, that kind of thing. There, there's fucking nothing between uh, Puerto Rico and Bermuda and nothing between Miami and Bermuda. It's just a vast stretch of just open seas, roughly 500,000 square miles of nothing but open water. That's a lot of square miles. Uh, Bermuda itself is an archi- archipelago uh, made up of a group of low-forming volcanoes 
collection of 181 islands, actually, forming a total of roughly 20 square miles of land. So it's not big. Uh, the eight larger populated islands are connected by bridges. It only has two incorporated cities, St. George's and Hamilton, uh, two villages, Flats and Somerset, total of about 65,000 residents. So it's way out there, and there's not a lot of people once you get there. It's also one of the world's premier banking kind of destinations, thanks to zero corporate income tax. Companies like Google save billions every year in taxes by locating themselves, at least on paper in Bermuda. And it's the largest, at least in terms of population, remaining dependent territory of the British crown. I didn't know that. I thought that was kind of cool. At at least since Britain uh, relinquished control of Hong Kong in 1997, you know, after giving it back to China. So, uh, interesting place originally discovered by the Spanish explorer Juan de Bermudez in 1503. Legend soon arose of spirits and devils. Now thought to have stemmed from the calls of local birds and and grunts of wild hogs that had made it to the island prior to the explorers. Uh, The hogs probably by swimming there from from shipwrecks, you know, in the waters around it. So you combine those noises with frequent uh, storm-wracked conditions, dangerous reefs, and the archipelago became known as the Isle of Devils. The Isle of Devils. So pretty badass name. Uh, neither Spain nor Portugal attempted to settle it, and no indigenous people lived there. I didn't know that either, uh, due to its extremely remote and inaccessible location. So from the very beginning, it's had an air of mystery, an, an aura of spookiness. Uh, later in 1607, English settlers on their way to Jamestown in the American colonies ended up in Bermuda by accident, uh, thanks to a storm, and all, all 150 members of the Sea Venture, the boat that wrecked on Bermuda, survived, and then in 1610, uh, they sailed into Jamestown. Shakespeare's play The Tempest is thought to have been inspired uh, by the Bermuda landing. Yeah, in 1612, England was uh, sending settlers there on purpose. St. George's was established that year. It's the oldest continually inhabited English town in the New World. Can you imagine just fucking ending up on an uninhabited island with 150 people? There's no structures of any kind, no beds, no homes, no stores. You just have to kind of figure shit out while you repair the ship. How terrible would that be? No thanks. Or I guess while a new ship, you know, wait for a new ship to come find you. Ah, oh, I might be into trying that for like a few days, maybe a week, and you know, some sense of rugged adventure. That's it. That is it. Not indefinitely. Uh-uh. Some people lived for years on uninhabited islands, you know, back in the day. Just build a little hut in the woods with rudimentary tools. Can you, can you imagine not being able to buy literally anything? Like, whatever you have when you show up on the island, that's all you get forever. Unless you can build it with whatever you happen to bring. Like, no 7-Eleven, no Amazon, nothing. I can't even fathom that. Closest experience to the, that that the average first world nation resident has is to go camping. And the last time I went camping, Glacier National Park last summer, you know, beautiful, by the way. Campground had clean running water, firewood for sale, indoor bathrooms and showers. And about two miles from the campsite, giant gift shop, restaurant, bar, ice cream. I've got some fishing lures and some bear spray. No, don't even worry about it. Just went in and bought more on day two. Cell phone battery gets slow. No, no biggie. Just plug it into the F-150. Right? It's got electrical outlets in the front and the back. God, I love that truck so much. But anyway, uh, if you get shipwrecked, uh, anything you forgot to grab when your ship was sinking, yeah, anything you weren't allowed to take with you when you got thrown off the boat, just tough shit, hombre. You either make it or you do without. Just fuck that. I get pissed when I'm touring and there isn't a Starbucks within walking distance of my hotel. Just, why God? Why has thou forsaken me? Why, Why do I have to drink hotel coffee? No. Yeah. But enough about uh, Bermuda. Let's talk about the Triangle. The term Bermuda Triangle was first coined in either 1955 or 1964. It was coined in 1955, according to a dude named Gian Quasar. 
author of numerous books about the Bermuda Triangle mystery, such as uh, Into the Bermuda Triangle, They Flew Into Oblivion, A Passage Into Oblivion, Hell Ship, or it was first uttered in 1964, according to basically every other article I can find on the internet. So one dude says 1955 in a documentary I watched called World of Mysteries, Bermuda Triangle. Everyone else says 1964. So let's go with 1964. Especially since Gion uh, seems like a, a, a bit of a bit of a loon. When he popped up on the documentary, I immediately was like, no, uh-uh. This guy just is making it up as he goes along. In February of 1964, Vincent Gaddis used the term Bermuda Triangle for the first time that we know of in a, in a cover story for Argosy Magazine regarding the disappearance of Flight 19. And imaginations have been running wild with speculation about the area ever since. Here is a bit of that original article uh, titled The Deadly Bermuda Triangle. What is there about this particular slice of the world that has destroyed hundreds of ships and planes without a trace? With a crew of 39, the tanker Marine Sulphur Queen began its final voyage on February 2, 1963 from Beaumont, Texas, with a cargo of molten sulphur. Its destination was Norfolk, Virginia, but it actually sailed into the unknown. A routine radio message on the night of February 3rd placed the ship near the dry Tortugas. The 254-foot vessel was overdue on February 6th, and a search was launched for it. Planes took off from the Coast Guard stations from Florida to Virginia, while cutters patrolled the Atlantic coast. When no trace was found, the search was abandoned on February 14th. Five days later, in the Florida Straits, 14 miles southeast of Key West, a Navy torpedo retriever picked up a life jacket and several bits of debris believed to have come from the tanker. Nothing more has ever been found. On August 28, 1963, two KC-135 four-engine stratotanker jets took off from Homestead Air Force Base south of Miami, Florida on a classified refueling mission over the Atlantic. The crews totaled 11 men. The weather was clear. At noon, the planes radioed their position as 800 miles northeast of Miami and 300 miles west of Bermuda. The planes were new, in radio contact with each other, and they were not flying close together, according to an Air Force spokesman. Then the planes vanished. An extensive search was launched. Planes crisscrossed the area in formation, following a carefully planned pattern of observation. Vessels churned the surface of the sea. On the following day, debris was discovered floating on the water about 260 miles southwest of Bermuda. No survivors or bodies were found. It was presumed that the two planes had collided in the air, but two days after the disappearance, more debris was located, but it was 160 miles from the first discovery. What happened remains a mystery. The mysterious menace that haunts the Atlantic off our southeastern coast has claimed two more victims. Before this article reaches print, it may strike again, swallowing a plane or ship, or leaving behind a derelict with no life aboard. That last sentence threw me when I first read it. Uh, before this article, I can only recall uh, hearing the term derelict uh, being used when referring to a bum, some some dreg of society, some some lazy person, some burden on the system, you know? Like, this is a, a nice neighborhood for the junkies and all these other derelicts, you know, swarmed in, camping out. Now it's a not, safe place, not a safe place to walk around at night. All these goddamn derelicts everywhere. Turns out a derelict can also mean a piece of property, especially a ship abandoned by the owner and in poor condition. Where the Bermuda Triangle, leaving behind an abandoned ship, uh, makes makes way more sense than the Triangle leaving behind a random bum, you know? Yesterday, a giant freighter was due to arrive at this dock when it didn't. A rescue team was sent out, and that ship was nowhere to be found. However, the rescue team did manage to find Whiskey Pete. 
No ship, not a single sailor, but there's Whiskey Pete floating out alone, 300 miles from shore, with only a bottle of old crow bourbon and his unbearable stink to keep him company. But I digress. Back to Gaddis's article. Other recent cases. Two months earlier, on July 1st, the 63-foot fishing boat Snowboy under U.S. registry sailed from Kingston, Jamaica, for Northeast Key, a small island, 80 miles southeast of Jamaica. Forty persons were aboard. When it was overdue, the U.S. Navy and Coast Guard launched a search. Several bits of debris believed to be from the vessel were observed. Finally, after ten days, the search was abandoned. On January 8, 1962, a KB-50 Air Force tanker rolled down a runway at Langley Air Force Base, Virginia, and headed eastbound from the Azores. Major Robert Tawney was in command of a crew of eight men. A short time later, the tower at Langley received weak radio signals from the plane. Then the signals faded into silence. Again, there was an extensive search, but there was no trace of wreckage or of bodies. After 1,700 fruitless man-hours, the search was ended. During the past two decades alone, the sea mystery at our back door has claimed almost a thousand lives. But even this is only an inference. In this series of disasters, not one body has ever been recovered. U.S. Navy, Air Force, and Coast Guard investigators have admitted they are baffled. The few clues we have only add to the mystery. Draw a line from Florida to Bermuda, another from Bermuda to Puerto Rico, and a third line back to Florida through the Bahamas. Within this area, known as the Bermuda Triangle, most of the total vanishments have occurred. This area is by no means isolated. The coasts of Florida and the Carolinas are well populated, as well as the islands involved. Sea distances are relatively short. Day and night, there is traffic over the sea and air lanes. The waters are well patrolled by the Coast Guard, the Navy, and the Air Force. And yet this relatively limited area is the scene of disappearances that total far beyond the laws of chance. Its history of mystery dates back to the never-explained, enigmatic light observed by Columbus when he first approached his landfall in the Bahamas. The Bermuda Triangle underlines the fact that despite swift wings and the voice of radio... We still have a world large enough so that men and their machines and ships can disappear without a trace. Whatever this menace that lurks within a triangle of tragedy so close to home, it was responsible for the most incredible mystery in the history of aviation, the Lost Patrol. Here is that amazing story. Man, he really fucking... Wordsmith, this guy. Really builds up this mystery. All right. Well, the story he's referring to, the Lost Patrol... Uh, we're going to get to it in just a moment. First, first, my origin story with the Bermuda Triangle. I first heard about it uh, when I was reading a book in junior high uh, that my dad had uh, read and left lying around the apartment, The World of Strange Phenomena, written by linguist and paranormal author Charles Berlitz. It's out of print. I just ordered a used copy just for nostalgia's sake off Amazon. Hopefully it'll get here in a week or two. <laughs> uh, you remember his name from the Atlantis episode, old Charles Berlitz. He wrote numerous books on Atlantis. He felt Atlantis was inside the Bermuda Triangle, and he wrote about a lot of other weird shit like spontaneous combustion, Roswell, possible location of Noah's Ark, uh, all kinds of stuff. And, and he was not uh, respected by uh, basically anyone in the scientific community. Uh, but I thank him for getting me curious about the magical and about the mystical, about the mythological. Okay, so now back to the story of the Lost Patrol, Flight 19. Uh, the disappearance of Flight 19 is probably the most enduring mystery of the Bermuda Triangle. So let's talk about it first. Let's delve into a, a variety of more triangle mysteries. And then we can examine both paranormal and scientific possible explanations for all of them. So let's get into some weird facts. Weird facts. 
All right, Flight 19, the first and arguably most scientific modern Bermuda Triangle tale. The main focus of Gaddis's article, kind of a misnomer, uh, actually, uh, Flight 19. It's actually several planes. At 2.10 p.m. on December 5th, 1945, five TBM Avenger torpedo bombers took off from a naval air station in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. The planes, collectively known as Flight 19, were scheduled to tackle a three-hour exercise known as Navigation Problem Number 1. It was a routine training flight that all completed numerous times before, and their triangular flight plan called for them to head east from the Florida coast and conduct bombing runs at a place called Hens and Chickens Shoals. Some very strangely named shoals. Uh, shoals essentially being underwater sandbanks, you know, where, like, the water is shallow and ships can run aground. Um, not positive how these got the names, uh, hens and chickens. Very likely though. I mean, probably they were named after a local variation down there of amphibious chicken. Uh, it's indigenous to the area. Yeah. It's uh, they have these chickens down there that can live, I, I guess, mostly underwater from what I read. They can eat, sleep, uh, lay eggs fully submerged, only kind of come up to the surface to breathe here and there. Uh, it's nuts. Uh, yeah, they can, uh, they can kind of float on the surface, you know, for long periods of time. I guess there's a lot of them by these sandbars. Have you, have you ever seen these, uh, that meat near near the tuna section of the grocery store called Chicken of the Sea. This is where they catch those chickens, a lot, catch a lot of them. Anyway, these Flight 19 guys, uh, they would turn north and proceed over Grand Bahama Island before changing course a third time and flying southwest back to the base. Save for one plane that only carried two men, each of the Avengers was crewed by three Navy men or Marines, most of whom had logged about 300 hours in the air. The flight's leader was Lieutenant Charles C. Taylor, an experienced pilot and veteran of several combat missions in World War II's Pacific Theater. Uh, hey, remember that chicken of the sea story? Yeah, that was, that was bullshit. That was nonsense. That was, that's just a brand of tuna. There are no such thing. <laughs> there are no such thing as sea chickens, but I really hope that some of you were trying to imagine them and thought that there were for at least 30 seconds. The rest of what I said was true. God, I, I hope that at least one person got distracted after I talked about my sea chicken nonsense and they had to stop listening to the show. And then they didn't get back to it. And so for the rest of their life, they just uh, occasionally are, are thinking about mythical Caribbean seafowl and hopefully t- talking about it, people. No, I, it is true, John. The sea chickens down in Bahamas. Uh, first, Flight 19's uh, uh, little flight path proceeded just as smoothly as the previous 18 other flight missions that day. Uh, Taylor and his, and his pilots buzzed over hens and chicken shoals about 2.30 p.m. They dropped their practice bombs without incident. Shortly after the patrol turned north for the second leg of its journey, something weird happened. Uh, for reasons that may remain unclear forever, Taylor became convinced that his Avengers compass was malfunctioning and that his planes had been flying in the wrong direction. And then the trouble only gets worse from there. A uh, storm front blows in, brings rain, gusting winds, heavy cloud cover, and Flight 19 becomes hopelessly disorientated. Uh, disoriented. Uh, I, I don't know where we are, one of the pilots said over the radio. We must have got lost after the last run uh, or after the last turn. Lieutenant Robert F. Cox, another Navy flight instructor who was flying near the Florida coast, was the first to overhear the patrol's radio communications. He immediately informed the air station of the situation, contacted the group of Avengers to ask if they needed assistance. Both my compasses are out and I'm trying to find Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Taylor said. His voice sounded anxious. I'm over land, but it's broken. I'm sure I'm in the Keys but I don't know how far down. Taylor's Florida Keys claim didn't make any sense. He, he'd made his scheduled pass over hens and chicken shoals in the Bahamas less than an hour earlier, but he now believed his planes had somehow drifted hundreds of miles off course and ended up in the Florida Keys. And maybe because the 27-year-old had just transferred from Fort Lauder, uh, to Flo- Fort Lauderdale from Miami, and many have since speculated that he may have just confused some of the islands of the Bahamas for the islands of the Keys. Uh, under normal circumstances, pilots lost in the Atlantic were supposed to point their planes towards the setting sun, fly west towards the mainland, 
But Taylor had become convinced that he might be over the Gulf of Mexico, and so that wouldn't be an option. He was hoping to locate the Florida Peninsula. He made a fateful decision to steer Flight 19 northeast, a course that would only take him further out to open sea. Some of his pilots seemed to have recognized that he was making a mistake. Uh, Damn it, one man griped over the radio. If we would just fly west, we would get home. But he didn't fly west. His orders were to, uh, this guy, you know, following him, didn't fly west. His orders were to follow his flight leader, and that's what he did. And and they all followed him further out into the triangle. Taylor was eventually persuaded to turn around, head west, but shortly after 6 p.m., he seems to have canceled that order and and once again changed his direction, saying, we we didn't go far enough east. Uh, He's still worried that he might be in the Gulf. We may as well just turn around and go east again. Uh, His his pilots probably argued against the decision. Some investigators even believe that one plane broke off against orders and flew in a different direction trying to make it home. Uh, Flight 19's radio transmissions soon became increasingly faint after this as he meanders out further and further into sea. When fuel began to run low, Taylor was heard prepping his men for a potential crash landing in the ocean. All planes, close up tight, he said. We'll have to ditch unless, we'll have to ditch unless landfall. When the first plane drops below 10 gallons, we all go down together. Ooh, man, a few, uh, a few minutes later, the Avengers' last radio communications were replaced by an eerie buzz of static. The Navy immediately scrambled uh, search planes to hunt for the missing patrol. Around 7.30 p.m., a pair of PBM Mariner flying boats uh, took off from the air station north of Fort Lauderdale. Just 20 minutes later, however, one of them seemed to follow Flight 19's lead by just vanishing off radar. Uh, the remains of the Mariner and its 13 crewmen were never recovered, uh, but many believe that the seaplane exploded shortly after takeoff, but there's no witnesses to this. Flying boats were notoriously accident-prone, though, and were even nicknamed Flying Gas Tanks for their propensity to catch on fire. Man, that sounds like a real fun plane to pilot. Jesus. Lieutenant Mitchum, reporting for duty, sir. Which plane will I be piloting, sir? Mitchum, I like you, soldier. But unfortunately, I don't like you quite as much as I like my other lieutenants, so I'm going to put you in the cockpit of one of our flying gas tanks. Yes, sir. That's fine, sir. But, sir, aren't those planes the the planes that catch fire and explode in midair on a regular basis, sir? Yes, Mitchum, indeed they are. And I'm putting you in our oldest, ricketyest flying gas tank. Never passed a single inspection. A sane leader would have grounded her months ago, but I'm not that leader. That sounds very dangerous, sir. I'm quite scared, sir. As you should be, Mitchum. As you should be. Each time you take off, I give you no better odds than a coin toss of making it back to base. Now get going. You've got ten trips alone to make today. Uh, Suspicions that the seaplane may have gone up in flames were all but confirmed by a passing merchant ship, which spotted a fireball. And uh, and found evidence of an oil slick in the ocean. So I guess somebody did witness a fire, fireball that possibly was that was that plane. Uh, at the crack of dawn the next morning, the Navy dispatched uh, more than 300 boats and aircraft to look for Flight 19 and the missing Mariner. Search party spent five days combing through more than 300,000 square miles of territory, and the search just didn't turn up a single clue. They just vanished. Navy Lieutenant David White later recalled, we had hundreds of planes out looking, and we searched over land and water for days, and nobody ever found the bodies or any debris. A Navy Board of Investigation uh, also left scratching his head. While it argued that Taylor might have confused the Bahamas for the Florida Keys after his compass malfunctioned, it could find no clear explanation for why Flight 19 had become so disoriented. Its members eventually attributed uh, the loss to causes or reasons unknown. And that's the story of Flight 19. Big mystery number one, occurring in 1945, and then receiving media coverage again in 1964, and then Charles Berlitz would write his first book on the triangle, titled The Bermuda Triangle in 1974. And uh, and more examination of Pulp Fiction would soon follow, like The Bermuda Triangle Solved in 1975 by Larry Kush, another book titled The Bermuda Triangle, written by Jim Collins in 77, Secrets of the Bermuda Triangle by Alan Landsberg in 78, and on and on and on. 
So let's look at some of the other mysteries that have, since the 1964 article came out, been attributed to this triangle of water that was never before, you know, defined that way before we look at possible explanations. Uh, One incident attributed to the triangle involves the schooner, the James B. Chester. On February 28, 1855, the general vicinity of the Azores, the crew of the merchantman Marathon sighted the bark James B. Chester. Uh, The ship was sailing erratically, as if no one was at the helm, and did not answer hails. Mate Thomas boarded her and found her deserted, as if uh, deserted as if deserted in a great hurry. The cabins had evidently been ransacked. Tables and chairs were overturned. Clothes and books lying around the ship's papers and compass were missing, but the wool cargo and provisions were still there. The captain of the Marathon then uh, had a crew take the Chester to the Albert Docks in Liverpool, and there the Chester became a spooky tourist attraction. Cue the spooky music. An abandoned ship afloat at sea, man, that really is spooky. Makes me think of those Pirates of the Caribbean movies, you know? That there's a ghost ship captained by Black Timmy, the most feared name on the seven seas. Old Black Timmy. It's a shame he doesn't have a more ominous nickname like Bart or Dread, the Black Dread. That's a much more nefarious nickname than Black Timmy. Anywho. Uh, all right, the USS Cyclops. Let's talk about this. Uh, one of the Navy's largest fuel ships. Uh, the Cyclops was last seen on uh, March 4th, 18, or 1918, when it stopped in the West Indies on its way from Brazil to Baltimore, carrying 10,800 tons of manganese or used to be, uh, to be used in manufacturing munitions. Manganese, for those of you who don't know, is the metal used to make kryptonite. And kryptonite is the fuel that nuclear reactors run on. And until uh, 1988, mag- mag- manganese was also listed among the main ingredients of Wheaties along with nitrous oxide and plutonium and uranium and black gunpowder, arsenic, frick frack, and poop loop. Is anyone still believing this? Is anyone still on board after poop loop being listed as the main ingredient of Wheaties? No, manganese is a metal often used in stainless steel alloys, uh, used mainly for its rust and corrosion kind of preventative properties. But the big ship carrying manganese never made it to Baltimore, nor did any of its 300 or so passengers and crew members. Despite an exhaustive, exhaustive search effort, no trace was ever found of the ship, Naval investigators uh, never landed on a definitive cause for its disappearance. So where did it go? Another victim of Black Timmy, working with Lucifina herself to drag sailors to the ocean depths. Damn that sexy siren. On January 28, 1948, the small British South American Airways plane, the Star Tiger, started from Libsyn, uh, Portugal, uh, for its first leg of a journey to Santa Maria in the Azores. Supposed to be a short halt uh, in, in the Azores for refueling. But due to bad weather conditions and strong winds, Captain Brian W. McMillan decided they would fly to Bermuda the next day. So then, on January 29th, uh, the flight takes off from Santa Maria. Despite strong winds, there were 25 passengers on board. One of them, a very distinguished person, Air Marshal Sir Arthur Cunningham, a hero of World War II, the captain decided to fly at an exceptionally low altitude of 2,000 feet in order to avoid a strong Gulf Stream headwind over the Atlantic. At 3.15 a.m., when many of the passengers were sleeping or dozing, uh, the radio operator of the flight pressed a button to get position of the plane from Bermuda's radio operator. The Bermuda operator responded, giving the position of the plane at 72 degrees. On receiving the message, the captain, McMillan, and the flight operator agreed that the estimated time of arrival of Bermuda would be 5 a.m. The Bermuda operator tried to contact the Star Tiger uh, later at 3.50 a.m., no response. Tried again at 4.40 a.m., no response. Uh, The plane's landing time of 5 a.m. passes, and there's no trace of the flight. Uh, There's been no distress call raised by the captain of the flight, so why didn't he call in? What could have happened so suddenly for him not to uh, send a distress signal? 
There was a massive rescue operation launched by the USAAF personnel with 26 aircraft flying for 882 hours to search for the Star Tiger. Operation lasted for five days, but they found no trace. Uh, Nothing. January 31st, 1948, the news of the passenger Sir Arthur Cunningham's death shared the front page of the New York Times along with other terrible news of Mahatma Gandhi's assassination and the death of Orville Wright. Uh, sadly, Cunningham's name seems to have faded a bit more than those other two, right? Gandhi, heard of him for sure. Orville Wright, absolutely. Arthur Cunningham, who the fuck is that? Uh, sounds like the name of an old guy who bartends at a British pub. Just, uh, who? You know, Arthur. Arthur Cunningham. Bartender down at the old King's Head Tavern. You know, the guy we, we used to call uh, Bangers and Mash, you know, when you'd get hammered. Uh, remember, you started doing that after that World Cup match. The guy, the guy who yelled, you yelled at. You, you were like, yeah, well, fuck cricket. When, you know, when we were at Kevin's bachelor party. Okay, this next disappearance, super weird. This is the Piper Navajo disappearance. On December, uh, excuse me, November 3rd, 1978, Irving Rivers left St. Croix, part of the U.S. Virgin Islands, in a Piper Navajo he was piloting for Eastern Caribbean Airways. The experienced pilot was making a solo flight to position the plane in St. Thomas to pick up passengers. Visibility was good. Temperatures were warm. During the flight, the control tower radios a flight suggestion to avoid a small shower, a little storm, and Rivers radios his acknowledgement, you know, makes the adjustment. As he nears the airport in St. Thomas, the plane is cleared for landing. The controller sees the plane's red and green lights blinking as it's making its approach. Soon after uh, another plane makes its planned departure, the controller uh, looks back and realizes he can no longer see the plane's lights and it's disappeared from radar. An emergency, surf air, uh, emergency search effort is launched. Nothing's ever found. Even though it was within a mile of landing, they could see it. No wreckage ever found, right? Like how do you fucking lose track of it when it's less than a mile away? That one weirds me out. Okay, before we get to our next disappearance, let's hear from our first sponsor. Today's Time Suck is brought to you by World of Warships. How perfect is that as we talk about all these maritime mysteries? Ever wondered what it might be like to captain some of the greatest warships of World War II? Then you should check out World of Warships. It's a free-to-play historical online combat game from Wargaming. And that works for Time Suck because you know this is absolutely a historical podcast. With World of Warships, you will command a massive naval fleet featuring some of history's most iconic war vessels, like the USS Arizona, the USS Indianapolis, remember that one from the Sharks episode, the USS Enterprise, and with four classes of ships from over eight nations fighting in strategically designed environments, every match is a unique experience. World of Warships brings players endless hours of strategy, tactical gameplay, pulse-pounding naval combat action. It really is the perfect balance of action and strategy gameplay. So download World of Warships for free today at commandwarships.com to begin your naval adventure. Make sure you enter the code TIMESUCK17, and it needs to be in all caps. It is case-sensitive. Enter the code TIMESUCK17, and that is the number, so it's T-I-M-E-S-U-C-K-1-7, all caps, when you download this game to get a ton of bonus content courtesy of this podcast. How cool is that, Time Sucker? So you'll start off with a free premium membership the famous cruiser Aurora, and a pile of in-game currency to jumpstart your epic World War II naval experience. So download World of Warships today at commandwarships.com and start playing. And speaking of historical ships, let's get back into our next disappearance. The Carol A. Deering was a five-masted commercial schooner that was found run aground off Cape Hatteras, North Carolina in 1921 with no one aboard. On August 19, 1920, the Deering prepared to sail from Norfolk, Virginia to Rio de Janeiro with a cargo of coal. The ship was captained by William H. Merritt. Merritt's son Sewell uh, was his first mate. 
He had a 10-man crew made up entirely of Scandinavians, known to be some of the dumbest people on the planet. Look, I don't want to be needlessly offensive, but I just read a study written by scientists who hate Scandinavia. The Scandinavians actually have uh, more in common with chimpanzees than they do other humans. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, I read that. I read that their DNA more closely resembles the DNA of dogs, specifically uh, dumb, filthy dogs, mutts, mangy mutts, than it does with other human DNA. And if that offends you, then you know what? Go fuck yourself, you stupid Viking. Look, I get it. No one likes being called dumb, but science is science, and you're stupid, and your language is annoying, and every, everyone thinks so, and the rest of the world hates you. No one cares about fucking lingonberries, okay? And all right, if I had it my way, I'd take all the world's pedophiles and murderers and rapists, and I'd dump them in Sweden, Norway, and Finland, which I combine into one big, worthless country called Who Gives a Shit a Stan, and I'd fence it off. And year after year, those fucking derelicts and deviates would terrorize this place. And after like four or five years, I would drop all of the world's nuclear bombs on all of them. Every single nuclear bomb. Kidding, of course. Kidding, of course. I love Scandinavia. Uh, I just wanted to go crazy for a second, okay? Sorry, Scandinavia. You took the brunt of that. I, uh, I have relatives in Sweden. I've never met, actually. Hope to someday. Uh, my wife's been to Sweden and uh, Norway as well. She said it was stunningly beautiful. And I'm part Norwegian, part Swedish. Just need to be ridiculous sometimes. Need to get some nonsense out of my system. I also have a growing number of Scandinavian time suckers, man. Sweden just moved in the top five for countries with the most time suckers, so hopefully I didn't lose all of you. I, I seriously doubt I did. Europeans have a great sense of humor, I found, just in general. Uh, so hello, Swedes. Ufta, ufta, ufta. Keep spreading the suck over there. Get enough people so I can fly over for a show, man. That would be fucking, that would be a dream come true. Hail Nimrod. Anyway, August 22nd, 1920, the Deering left Newport News, Virginia. In late August, Captain Merritt fell ill, had to be let off at the port of Luz, Delaware, along with his son. The Deering Company hastily recruited Captain W.B. Warmel, a retired 66-year-old veteran captain, to replace him. Charles B. McClellan was hired on as his first mate. The vessel set sail for Rio on September 8, 1920, arrived there, delivered its first cargo without incident. Warmel gave his crew... Uh, leave and met with Captain Goodwin, an old friend who'd captained another cargo vessel. The Deering left Rio on December 2nd, 1920 and stopped for supplies in Barbados. The ship was next sighted by the Cape Lookout Lightship in North Carolina on January 28th, 1921, when the vessel hailed it. The lightship's keeper, Captain Jacobson, reported that a thin man with reddish hair and a foreign accent, probably Scandinavian, told, told him that the vessel had lost its anchors in a storm off Cape Fear. On January 31st, 1921, the Deering was sighted run aground on Diamond Shoals, an area off the coast of Cape Hatteras, North Carolina, that has long been notorious as a common site of shipwrecks. Rescue ships were unable to approach the vessel owing to bad weather. The ship was not boarded until February 4th and became clear that the ship had been completely abandoned. Another one of those ghost ships Black Timmy's got a hold of. The U.S. government launched uh, an extensive investigation into the disappearance of the crew of the Deering. Five departments of the government, Commerce, Treasury, Justice, Navy, and State, looked into the case. Herbert Hoover, then Secretary of Commerce, was intrigued by the fact that several other vessels of various nationalities, most notably the sulfur freighter Hewitt, had also disappeared in roughly the same area. In the Bermuda Triangle. Though most of these vessels were later revealed to have been sailing in the vicinity of a series of particularly vicious hurricanes, the Hewitt and Deering were proven to have been sailing away from the area of the storm uh, of the, at that time. Hoover's assistant, Lawrence Ritchie, was placed in charge of the investigation. Ritchie tried to chart what happened to the vessel between its last sighting at Cape Lookout and its running aground at Diamond Shoals by reading the logbooks of the Coast Guard lightship station at those places. And then nothing. And the investigation was closed in late 1922 without an official finding on the incident. Okay, one more Bermuda disappearance. 
Uh, the Witchcraft. Wow, right? I just felt like I saw that name, and I'm like, ooh, I have to, I have to add that one. On December 22nd, 1967, experienced yachtsman Dan Burek and his friend Father Patrick Hogan set sail in the 23-foot luxury yacht Witchcraft to see the holiday lights off the coast of Miami. Unfortunately, after just one mile, the pair experienced difficulty when it seemed as if the yacht had hit something. Burek calmly called the Miami Coast Guard to report the trouble and request assistance. The official who took the call later commented that Burek seemed unconcerned, perhaps because the yacht was fitted with a special flotation device that was supposed to make the vessel unsinkable. The Coast Guard arrived at the scene just 19 minutes after the call and were surprised to find no trace of anything. Not the yacht, no debris, no sign of Burek or Hogan. Over the next uh, six days, hundreds of square miles of ocean were searched, but nothing was ever found, and the witchcraft has been chalked up as another vessel mysteriously lost to the Bermuda Triangle. Another Bermuda Triangle disappearance with nothing but a set of weird facts surrounding it. Weird facts. Okay, so now we have a few disappearances to wonder about. Let's try and explain them. And, and let's look at both scientific and paranormal possibilities. First, science. Uh, one kind of terrifying and definitely fascinating possible scientific explanation for the disappearances in the Bermuda Triangle is methane gas eruptions. Large amounts of methane gas are trapped thousands of feet below the seafloor, and if this gas gets released, water density in the area, uh, depending on the amount of methane released, could reduce significantly uh, you know, uh, the density of the water, and, and the frothy water could no longer you know, provide the proper you know, buoyancy required to keep a ship afloat. So if you're already afraid of the ocean like I am, uh, now you're more scared. You know, uh, the knowledge that at least uh, theoretically your boat could suddenly and without warning just sink into the ocean depths where you undoubtedly be attacked and eaten by previously undiscovered and terrifying fish-like monsters with crazy teeth and dead heartless fish eyes and probably, probably some weird spiky shit around their heads. Who knows? No, but the methane gas theory for disappearances of ships and planes in the Bermuda Triangle didn't gain popularity until 1998 when Dr. Ben Clennell of Leeds University in England delivered a lecture at Wales about methane gas becoming a big source of future energy. He mentioned that volumes of methane gas can get released as a result of landslides under the ocean floor. Uh, he went on to state that in such an event, the water density in that area and right up to the surface can get so low that it can make a ship drop like a rock. And since the gas is highly combustible, Theoretically, an eruption could also cause a plane flying above it to catch fire and be incinerated. Jesus Christ. Another reason to be scared to fly over the ocean. As if crashed into the water and dying on impact or drowning or being eaten by creepy monster fish isn't bad enough, now you can add uh, being obliterated in a methane fireball to the list. However, this is just a theory. There's no definitive evidence uh, that such, uh, you know, this methane effect has actually caused a disappearance in the Bermuda Triangle or anywhere else. And it's uh, highly unlikely that methane gas eruptions are to blame for for these disappearances. And here's why. The largest chunks of methane reserves are actually found at a distance away from the Bermuda Triangle and not really inside the area where many of these disappearances have taken uh, taken place. If methane gas is to erupt, it has to cross uh, thousands of feet of sediment below the ocean floor and then more than 1,000 feet of water in Bermuda Triangle to reach the surface and then sink a ship. And it has to rise far beyond to burn an aircraft. The odds that this would A, happen, and B, happen when a ship is in the perfect spot to be sunk or a plane is in the perfect spot to be caught on fire is beyond extremely low. Also, uh, methane gas eruptions don't explain why ships and planes lost near the Bahamas where uh, water depth is only 50 feet or so, for example, haven't been found. And, uh, and then there's examples of drilling rigs unknowingly boring into the methane layer under the seafloor and starting to sink, but they've always sank really slowly. 
uh, slow enough to give their crews plenty of time to send out distress signals and be rescued. Uh, there's never been any casualties in any of these situations. In many of these cases, helicopters circling around the area taking pictures of these incidents have never been, you know, harmed, let alone caught on fire. So probably not methane. Another possible explanation for, for sudden disappearances in, in the Bermuda Triangle are water spouts. The Coast Guard notes that unpredictable Caribbean Atlantic storms can yield water spouts that often spell disaster for pilots and mariners. A water spout being a rotating column of water and spray formed by a whirlwind occurring over the sea or other body of water. So basically like a water tornado. Does not sound fun. Uh, the largest water spouts can have diameters of 100 meters, 330 feet, last up uh, for like an hour. Uh, though the average life uh, time is just about 5 to 10 minutes for the average water spout. Uh, the average wind speed is only 50 miles an hour. But because it's extremely hard to gather measurement uh, evidence about these things, scientists don't really know how fast uh, the winds can get inside these things. So who, so who knows like what a giant one could actually do. Uh, and then there's the possibility of magnetic anomalies in the area, giving pilots and captains navigation errors by throwing off their equipment, like you know, like like that uh, Flight 19, like if his, if his compass really did start freaking out. This one's backed up scientifically in other parts of the world, but not necessarily in the Bermuda Triangle, at least not yet. One famous known magnetic anomaly is Russia's Kursk magnetic anomaly. Uh, the Earth possesses a magnetic field generated from millions of tons of iron and other metals deep within the planet's core. Our magnetic field helps to deflect harmful solar wind so we're not irradiated. Uh, strongest near the North and South Poles, this magnetic field is pretty consistent across various degrees of latitude. However, there are exceptions, often resulting from unusually high levels of metal in one area. Uh, a magnetic anomaly is a change in the Earth's magnetic field that's different from what's expected. That means there's such a large amount of metal in the crust in a certain place, it can override the rest of Earth's massive magnetic field. And Russia's Kursk uh, magnetic anomaly located on the eastern border of Russia near the Ukraine, uh, near the kill zone, actually, of last week's time suck topic, Andrei uh, Chikatilo, uh, is one of these places. Uh, with more than 30 billion tons of iron ore spread across nearly 50,000 square miles, it's the size of uh, countries like Greece and Cuba. So large, some estimates uh, say it accounts for about half of all the Earth's iron ore, iron ore reserves. So thanks to all that iron in the ground, compasses here will spin in an extra 15 degrees and in some areas uh, even confuse south with east and north with west. So this unique geological phenomena uh, has won the area the nickname Earth's third magnetic pole. So does something similar go on in the Bermuda Triangle? Again, no scientific evidence of any disruptive magnetic forces there, but there is a lot of speculation about them. There's a lot of people who have claimed that their compasses have just started fucking freaking out. You know, their navigational devices have gone all wonky in the triangle. So, you know, uh, who knows? Now, the main scientific explanation for, for the Bermuda Triangle is that it's bullshit and that there is no mystery. Uh, that it's just a product of journalistic sensationalism and that planes and boats don't actually disappear there any more frequently than any other place in the ocean. One article I found said... Planes and boats do not go missing in the space between Puerto Rico, Florida, and Bermuda any more than they do in any other part of the world. There's no statistical significance to this region at all. Even though there are plenty of natural mechanisms which could sink boats over the oceans, almost none of them exist in the triangle. Now, scientists point out that while bodies and wreckage have never been found in many cases, this isn't surprising considering that it's a massive body of water and most of it is incredibly deep. Even today, the wreckage of planes and boats are rarely located in other areas of the ocean despite massive advances in reconnaissance and tracking technology. Like, think about Amelia Earhart, right, from her time suck a few weeks ago. She didn't disappear anywhere near the Bermuda Triangle. And the wreckage of her plane, if it did, you know, sink, has never been found. Uh, there was a disappearance of uh, four Boeing B-47 Stratojets flying from Florida to Morocco 
uh, sorry, one of four, one of four. That changed the story. The disappearance of one of four Boeing B-47 Stratojets flying from Florida to Morocco in March of 1956. This plane just vanished over the Mediterranean. While carrying two capsules of nuclear weapons material, the plane, crew, nuclear material, never been found. Uh, there was a dis- That one sounds sketchy to me, though. It sounds like one of these guys like, we can fucking sell this shit. We can sell this nuclear stuff to somebody in Africa. So maybe they just, uh, who knows, but it had never been found. There was the disappearance of big band leader Glenn Miller in 1944. On December 15, 1944, he boarded a small plane, a single-engine UC-64 Norseman, took off from Paris en route to London with two other occupants, Lieutenant Colonel Norman Basil, pilot John Morgan, departed on a cold, foggy day, and neither he uh, nor the plane nor the other passengers ever seen again. The official report is that the plane crashed into the English Channel as a result of iced over wings or engine complications, but no wreckage has ever been found. So that's speculation. All that's known with certainty is that the plane left for its seemingly short trip on December 5th and vanished. And ships uh, disappear around the world too, man, like the SS Poet in 1979. Uh, first, the ship was called the General Omar Bundy and hauled, trips in world, hauled troops in World War II. Later, she hauled steel as the port. In 1979, she was acquired by the Eugenia Corporation of Hawaii, who gave her uh, the last name she'd ever hold, the poet. Nothing particularly mysterious about the poet's last job in 1979. Her hold was filled with 13,500 tons of corn. Uh, She was scheduled to haul from Philadelphia to Port Said, Egypt, a rather routine and dull job. You know, there's just one problem. The poet never reached Port Said. In fact, her last communication came only six hours after leaving Philadelphia uh, when one of her officers spoke to his wife. After that, she failed to report for her 48-hour check-in. She failed to give any kind of distress signal. She failed to communicate ever again. To make matters worse, the Eugenia Corporation didn't report her missing until six days after she last made contact. Even then, the Coast Guard didn't bother searching for another five days. So, you know, we weren't really on top of shit for that, for that ship. Uh, no trace of the poet was ever found. So many, you know, disappearances that are, that are not unique to the Bermuda Triangle. So those are the main scientific explanations. In short, maybe it's methane explosions, but probably not. Maybe it's water spouts, probably not. Maybe it's magnetic anomalies, probably not. Very, very, very likely total bullshit, and there's no mystery to the Bermuda Triangle. Things just disappear, uh, over the ocean especially, and there's a lot of ocean for things to disappear in around the Bermuda Triangle. So that's, so that's the science part for you. Just taking another shit on fun and mystery, scientists, damn it. So let's take a look at some paranormal explanations. Let's get, let's get mysterious again. But before we do, let's check in with another sponsor. Time Suck is brought to you today by RX Bar, a whole food protein bar made with a few simple, clean ingredients, which all serve a purpose. Egg whites for protein, dates to bind, nuts for texture. And in the interest of full transparency, all of the core ingredients are labeled right on the front of the package. No BS. No BS also written on the front of the package, which I love. Just no bullshit with RX bars. RX bars are perfect for a breakfast on the go, snack at the office, throw in your bag for a bike ride, hike, traveling, anything. Uh, Better yet, beyond being a go-to snack that checks off a number of nutritional boxes, uh, RX bars actually taste good. Who knew? A healthy snack bar, low in calories and high in protein that doesn't taste like a mixture of chalk, grass, barely edible glue. RX bars are actually a delicious. I can attest to that personally. My wife, Lindsay, and I love them. My dog, Penny, would love them if I let her have any, which I will not. She has enough treats. She doesn't need to be honing in on my good stuff. With 11 delicious flavor varieties, all of which are gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, free free of any added sugar, artificial colors, flavors, preservatives, or fillers, you can actually taste the cacao, the real fruit, the spices like sea salt. You know, whether you uh, like sweet or savory, chocolate or fruit flavors, there's an RX bar for you. My favorite flavor that I've had so far is a chocolate sea salt. That one is 
Ah, delicious. Just the right mix of uh, salty and sweet, man. It's real good. Uh, mixed berry, very close second favorite. But I truly didn't like, uh, dislike any of the flavors I've had. I've, I've eaten an entire box of the uh, just a uh, you know variety box, blueberry, coconut, chocolate, peanut butter, all very, very tasty. Uh, I love the natural ingredients, man. You can see the nuts in there. You know, it's not just all ground up into that weird powdery paste. So, so get some. For, get 25% off your first order. Uh, visit rxbar.com slash timesuck and enter promo code timesuck at checkout. Right? That's rxbar.com slash timesuck. Promo code TIMESUCK for 25% off your first order. And man, you will love these. I promise you will love these. All right. Let's get paranormal. What paranormal explanations are there for the Bermuda Triangle disappearances? UFOs. You know, do UFOs have anything to do with the Bermuda Triangle? Are aliens occasionally plucking people from a boat or a plane? Who knows? Maybe, maybe not. We don't know. There have been numerous claims of UFO sightings over the years in the Bermuda Triangle. Various UFO enthusiasts claim it's an alien hotbed. Space lizard nutjob David Icke. He of the Lizard Illuminati fame claimed in 2012 that a giant crystal pyramid had been discovered in the waters of the Bermuda Triangle. Of course he did. It says, goddamn space lizards hiding in their moon base and controlling our thoughts and living in their Bermuda crystal pyramid, sinking our ships with their crystal powers. Fucking space lizards constantly ruining shit just so they can psychically feed off of our turmoil and angst. God, I can't wait to launch the secret suck and have an excuse just to learn so much more about David Icke than anyone ever should. Learned so much about his space lizard thoughts. I'm going to be more of an expert in space lizardry than David Icke is by the time, by like a year or so. Anyway, uh, here's, a, here's the best Bermuda UFO tale I found. It was written by longtime UFO researcher and writer Billy Booth for ThoughtCo.com. And Billy says, A well-documented account of a UFO hovering over the USS John F. Kennedy while in the infamous Bermuda Triangle was given to me personally, of course it was, by a crew member who was a communications expert and an eyewitness to strange events in 1971. Our witness had served a year on the ship, and when the incident occurred, the vessel was returning to Norfolk, Virginia, after a two-week readiness exercise in the Caribbean. Our witness was on duty in the communications center, monitoring eight separate teletype machines. These teletypes printed out fleet broadcasts. The array of eight was comprised of four on top, which each logged different channels, and four on the bottom, which, unlike the top row, monitored different frequencies. If any messages were received, they were to be sent to the facility's control center, which would in turn monitor the messages. On the opposite side of the room was the Naval Communications Operations Network, which was a ship-to-shore circuit. Beside it was the task group circuit for ship-to-ship messaging. At about 2030 hours, the ship had completed an 18-hour flight ops. A routine message had just been logged, and turning back to the teletypes, our witness noticed that all the information coming in was garbage. He checked the alternate machines, and they, too, were sending garbage. Walking to the intercom, he informed the facility's control center about the problem. A reply told him that all the communication hardware was malfunctioning. In the corner of the room was the pneumatic tube system, which had an intercom which communicated with the bridge. All of those on duty in the communications room heard someone in in a loud voice proclaim, There's something hovering over the ship! A moment or two later, another voice shouted, It's the end of the world! End of the world. Easy, drama queen. It's quite the leap there. Talk about a lot of psychological pr- projection, man. I feel like so many of us assume that if, if we do see UFOs, they've just come here to fuck us up. You know? I, and I think we assume that because that's what we've done to each other throughout history. Like, historically, when one of our our, our cultures encounters another one, we, we generally haven't shown up to be like buddies and, you know, play, uh, you know, Connect Four. We've shown up to conquer and or colonize. colonize. You know, we've, 
we, we assume aliens probably would do the same thing, I guess, you know? Why can't, they, why can't they just come to talk? How cool would that be if they came and just wanted to share some new info, man? Give us some technology. Give us a teleporter bracelet so we don't have to sit in traffic anymore. Go to the airport. Give us nanobots, medical nanobots that we can pour into our bloodstream and repair our DNA and cure diseases as we march towards transhumanism and posthumanism. But no, we have to assume it's death and annihilation. The six men in the communications room immediately went to take a look at what was happening. They ran the approximately 50 feet to the hatch that opens into the catwalk on the edge of the flight deck. This happened at the time of No Horizon, which occurs in the morning and evening because of the sun rising or setting, and during this time it's difficult, if not impossible, to tell where the sky and sea meet. I should take a moment here to actually point out another possible scientific explanation for planes getting lost over the Bermuda Triangle and other vast expanses of ocean. Uh, when the weather's bad and pilots have no land reference to guide themselves by and uh, can't tell where the horizon is while, they, while they're over open water, uh, they can experience spatial disorientation and vertigo when just everything looks the same. Like the sky, the sea, it's hard to tell where they meet, very disorientating. I guess pilots use the horizon as an important navigational reference and, and when that reference isn't there, when it can't be determined, things just get super confusing. Like in the waters of the Bermuda Triangle, elsewhere in the ocean, you know, a foggy haze can really obscure the horizon and totally disorientate pilots, especially, I'm sure, back in time when we had less navigational tools. You know, you add that to some instrument panel trouble, and, and you can get lost real quick. Okay, back to this guy's story. As they looked up, they were shocked to see a large, glowing sphere hovering above the ship. Yet without a horizon, for reference, it was difficult to estimate its size. But best guesses from the witnesses put it at 200 to 300 feet in diameter. There was no sound coming from the UFO. The light of the otherworldly craft seemed diffused and a yellow, and it was a yellow to orange color. After gazing at the UFO for about 20 seconds, battle station alerts went off. Their officer met them on their way back to the communication room, urging them to rush back to work. After about 20 minutes of sitting with nothing to do, the communications came back online. There were no messages outgoing about the giant UFO at any time. The next few hours were uneventful except for a good friend of our witness who worked in the Combat Information Center who told him that during the time the UFO hovered over the ship, all of the radar screens glowed. Another shipmate of his who worked on the navigation bridge informed him that all of the compasses had malfunctioned during the event. He would also be told that two F-4 Phantoms would not start while the UFO was near the ship. Scuttlebutt on the ship passed rumors. That not too long after the event, several men in trench coats had landed on the ship and questioned those who had seen the phenomena. A few days afterward, as the ship was nearing its destination of Norfolk, a captain came on the closed-circuit television station and reminded the crew that anything that happens on the ship stays on the ship, although the UFO was not mentioned specifically. Other than that, the gossip among crew members, uh, this was the only reference to the unusual occurrence on the USS John F. Kennedy in the Bermuda Triangle. Our witness is still haunted by what he saw and heard that day and is actively pursuing details about this event and other UFO sightings. All right, look, I believe in the possibility of UFOs. I really do. But yet again, uh, disappointed with another alleged sighting story. This particular story locks me when Billy said that after just seeing a UFO above the ship and gazing at it for 20 seconds, everyone just goes back to their posts and things were then uneventful for the next few hours. Shut the fuck up. Things would not be uneventful. People would be losing their goddamn minds if there's a giant spaceship hovering above the ship. Really? You're not going to see an alien and then be bored 10 minutes later. Just, man, when is this shift going to be over? Time is dragging today with nothing to do. Why aren't our instruments working again? Oh, yeah, stupid spaceship up front messing them up. One of those dumb aliens going to get out of here so things can go back to being eventful. And the dudes in trench coats showed up? Nah. Why do they always have to be in trench coats or dressed all in black? 
why can't like the men in black type, like why, why can't the alien dudes show up in like Hawaiian shirts or something, you know, downplay the whole thing, make it, you know, do a little misdirect, make it a little more casual. Just be a little, you know, hey guys, <laughs> hey guys, uh, oh man, that was a wacky saucer, huh? <laughs> you probably think it's aliens, don't you? <laughs> nah, man, we got you, we got you. <laughs> I'm Captain Donnie Winkler. I'm the head of the Navy's prank division. <laughs> hey, and we just got you. Oh man, you just got winked. You just got winked by the Winkler. Uh, you should have seen your faces when you thought an alien death saucer was hovering above you. You, you were possibly preparing to utterly destroy the ship and every life form on it. Oh, man, you guys were so scared. Oh, show of hands, who shit their pants? Come on, get them up. Who's got stinky drawers? Who just made a poop and butt cheek, Sammy? Come on, I can smell at least one. Oh, rotten. Anywho, thanks for letting us mess around with our new projector we've been working on. Uh, we can project cool images onto the clouds. Uh, great for pranks, as you know now. All right, guys, uh, see you around. Uh, I'm going to leave a little bag of hand buzzers and whoopee cushions for you to mess around with, just, just courtesy of the Navy's prank division. <laughs> take, take care, everybody. No. <laughs> That'd be great if that's uh, it got to be super fucking annoying, but, you know. Uh, however, when someone disappears, who knows, you know, uh, I guess it could always be aliens in my mind. And maybe they have some powerful cloaking technology. We can't see them. Maybe they come here all the time. Again, who knows? Maybe they freeze time. Walk, walk, walk amongst us. Who the hell knows? All I do know is in the context of Bermuda Triangle, I wasn't able to find one example of a Bermuda Triangle UFO story that made me think, yeah, uh-huh, this is definitely, this is definitely UFOs. Okay. Other than UFOs, the leading paranormal explanation to the Bermuda Triangle mystery is that there's some kind of uh, dimensional portal uh, there some some type of fluctuating gateway to another place of time, you know, like uh, there are those who believe that various planes and ships have fallen into wormholes, possibly popping out in some other world or making it to some other time. Here's one interesting uh, firsthand uh, story I came across in a documentary about a guy who believes he flew into a time tunnel. On December 4th, 1979, Florida property developer Bruce Gernon uh, says that he and a friend and his dad were flying back to Florida, the Bahamas. Uh, specifically from Andros Island to Bimini, uh, to Bimini uh, to Palm Beach International. And then they took a flight from Andros Island at exactly 3 p.m., and then 100 miles from Miami, violent thunderclouds uh, showed up ahead. He tried to fly around the storm when suddenly a tunnel opened up in the clouds, and he flew into its opening. And then once inside, uh, suddenly these strange lines appeared on the edge of the tunnel, like these rotating counterclockwise lines in this perfectly formed tunnel. And it was about 10 miles long. And while inside the tunnel, air traffic control in Miami just couldn't locate him, just disappeared. And then less than a minute after entering the tunnel, Bruce and his passengers uh, are back out. The fog dissipates, and suddenly they're flying over to Miami. And he realizes he traveled 100 miles in roughly three minutes, which is impossible in this little plane of his. So Bruce co-wrote a book about the experience called The Fog, a never-before-published of the Bermuda Triangle Phenomena, uh, published in 2005, and I don't buy any of it for a fucking second. And here's why. I watched two separate interviews with Bruce Dernan about this incident, and he gave two different accounts of the story, you know, because he's given them in the days before YouTube and DVRs when odds are no one's going to notice the discrepancies. But I noticed uh, in one interview, he said he was flying towards Florida when he sees a large lenticular cloud, which is a stationary lens-shaped uh, cloud that forms in the troposphere, normally in perpendicular alignment to the wind direction. Uh, this one, in his words, was at least 60,000 feet high. It's pretty big. Uh, and realizing he couldn't fly above it, that's what he said in one video. He's like, well, I couldn't fly above it. He decided to fly straight into it, and he just flies into the storm. No tunnel is noticed. And then after he's inside the cloud, then he notices a tunnel, and he makes a big deal about not being able to fly above it again. And then in the other interview, he says they were trying to fly around a storm, and that's where he saw a tunnel in the storm and dove in. 
Two separate stories. Which is it? Did, did you fly around it and then dive into a tunnel? Or did you realize you couldn't fly above it and then go into the storm and then notice a tunnel? And bigger discrepancy, if you think that's nitpicky, in one story, he's flying with his dad and a friend. And in the other story, it's just his dad. Get out of here, Bruce, you fucking wackadoodle. You know, one story. He, oh, yeah, also this. One story, he never mentions uh, aliens. Uh, but in the other story, he mentions seeing aliens on other trips in the area before his time tunnel adventure. And so there's some connection with UFOs. You know, but, but and of course, the UFO thing was like the second like interview in, in time. So he gives one, no UFOs. A little bit later, he's like, I should fucking sprinkle some UFO shit into this store and make a little more, a little more panache, you know? So, uh, and, and also, uh, who else has flown through a time tunnel in the Bermuda Triangle and also uh, talked about it and also seen UFOs? No one. Just Bruce. I like to make up stories for fun and profit, Dernan. Okay, so Bruce's story does not hold up, at least uh, for me, at all. But what about other stories uh, I mentioned in Weird Facts? Let's examine those. We'll save Flight 19 for the end. And actually, before we examine any of them, let's see what the idiots of the internet have to say about the Bermuda Triangle. Idiots of the internet. Okay, so many idiots today to pick from. Uh, when, I, when I picked the Bermuda Triangle, uh, I knew I'd find no shortage of intellectual underachievers. The first is under the second YouTube video I found about Bruce Gernon. It's user Kelly Carver, and she has her own strange phenomena to share with us, typing, I have seen five planes disappear in the last month. Weird, right? I love how this starts. Hey, everyone, I saw five planes vanish into thin air. Is that normal? I love that she needs some sort of validation that this is indeed strange. As if there's a chance everyone would just come back with, oh, no, 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 that's not weird. No, 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 planes just disappear now. That's a thing now. You know, most planes disappear, actually. It's amazing that anyone even wants to fly anymore, considering that nearly all planes disappear forever. You'd think it'd be on the news more. And then Kelly uh, gives us the deets surrounding these disappearances, saying, They were flying west at a fairly high altitude above what it looks like of what looks like Birmingham, Ohio. Sometimes there were some clouds, and others, there are no nearby clouds at all. I know it sounds really weird, but they just seem to disappear. I'm wondering what kind of technology the secret government has now, has now, all caps with has, that is sophisticated enough to allow, all caps, such a thing. One day the sky was filled with chemtrail jets all day, and then a different plane that looked shark-like flew through the sky as if it were inspecting the work that the chemtrail jets had accomplished, like a supervisor or something. When the shark reached the area of what looks to be above Birmingham, it disappeared, all caps. This was the second time I have seen a jet disappear in the same spot. Others have happened since then. The government is doing some very strange and offensive things, and I don't trust them not to be causing harm to us and the planet. Chemtrails alone are a sick thing to do to people. Wow. Uh, all right. Uh, first off, I, I would literally feel comfortable betting my life, my actual life, that Kelly didn't see any of this shit, uh, especially since some of it's not real, like chemtrail planes. What are you talking about? Like, that's a thing. Like, they're just planes flying around for the specific purpose of spraying biological and or chemical components into the air to either exterminate us, uh, harm us, sterilize us, kill us. The trails you see behind planes are normal water-based contrails, condensation trails, that are routinely left by high-flying aircraft under certain, you know, atmospheric conditions. No one's spraying fucking sterilization spray on anybody. And if they are, it's not working. Not doing a good job, right? They're not spraying the right people because wackadoodles and the willfully ignorant are just popping out babies at alarming rates all the time. So if they're trying to sterilize the portion of the population that they would consider undesirable, doing a fucking terrible job, 
you know, and we're living longer than ever. So they're not doing a very good job killing us either, are they? But I love that Kelly A accepts the planes, regularly dispense chemtrails, you know, upon the human population, like that's just a documented scientific fact, and B wants to make sure that, that she doesn't, uh, that we know that she doesn't agree with the ethics of chemtrails. You know, when she adds that chemtrails alone are a sick thing to do to people. As if she didn't add that last part, we'd assume that she was pro-chemtrail. You know, like she gets some replies in the thread. Just, hey, Kelly, uh, agree with you about planes disappearing on a regular basis. However, unlike you, I do not condone chemtrails. Not cool, chemtrail lover. Not cool. Well, no one replied to Kelly, so let's move on. Uh, <laughs> okay, let's, let's, let's talk about someone who really loves the caps lock key. YouTuber uh, YFLO International who posted under the same video, shit is time war, bro, period, all caps. I've seen the documentaries. I've seen the evidence. When fools try to dismiss the Bermuda Triangle as having something to do with the weather, dot, 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 and then all caps for the rest of this post, they are fucking, absolutely fucking, totally fucking stupid, dot, 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 and dot, 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 they sound, dot, 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 completely fucking stupid, dot, dot, dot. Trying to explain it away, dot, 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 as some weather shit, period. The Bermuda Triangle is a trans-dimensional, a trans-dimensional gateway, dot, 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 fact, dot. So much about this I like. Starting with bro. I feel like adding bro to an argument almost always means you're going to be wrong. Just, nah, bro, that's not how you compound interest, man. That's not how compound interest works at all, bro. You add it, bro. If your APR is 5%, bro, that means... You have an extra 5% more money the second you see that shit. I'll give you $100, bro. You give me 5 bucks right then and there, bro. And then the next day, if the APR is 4%, well, you give me 4 more dollars, bro. Pa, every day. I get paid every day on my APR money, bro. I'm sorry, but we're going to have to ask you to leave the bank, sir. Uh, we normally take anyone's money, but you're far too dumb to be expected for us to deal with you on a regular basis. Uh, for us to be expected to deal with you. After bro, I love that YFLO International thinks that not only are people who believe you can explain away strange Bermuda Triangle phenomena with weather, uh, he not only believes they're fucking stupid, he also believes they sound fucking stupid. Like, that's an important distinction. That's an important second point. Hey, bro, you're fucking stupid. And I'll tell you another thing. You fucking sound stupid, too. You know what I mean? You know, you know what I'm talking about? I love the irony of him pointing this out, uh, that, you know, by pointing this out, he's making himself sound that much more stupid. And then my next favorite part is, is closing it out with fact. Let me tell you about some facts, bro. You fucking stupid. Fact, bro. You sound stupid. Fact, bro. It's not some weather shit, bro. Fact, bro. It's a transdimensional gateway. Fact, bro. YFLO International is a complete moron who will be unbearable to talk to for more than 30 seconds, bro. Fact, bro. Fact, bro. Bro, fact. Okay. One more idiot underneath the video I jumped to from the last video uh, titled... Two UFOs found in Bermuda Triangle. Sometimes, sometimes it really cracks me up when I read comments written by someone who, who clearly has uh, access to either a computer, tablet, or smartphone, knows how to type, but doesn't know how to complete a single coherent thought. Like, not one. Uh, this, ne this next comment really just cracked my shit up. Uh, user Crystal Guerrero, uh, a year ago, writes, All his lies is not true long years until now. Only American make clear their experimental theory to penetrate the whole world in focus. Why America bow bombing atomic bomb in Hiroshima, Japan, 70 decade ago. And now you are always talking talks the alien base in the, that heart of Bermuda Triangle. The report many of cargo ship and airplane disappear many years ago. 
if that Bermuda Triangle is miraculous, why not put bomb a superpower nuclear bomb? <sighs> On behalf of everyone, uh, what? What are you talking about? Well, like, what are you actually trying to say? Because I truly don't know. Let's start at the beginning. Lies is not true years until now. What in the fuck is that supposed to mean? The lies aren't true? Yeah, that's how lies work. You don't need to add that a lie isn't true. That's, that's incredibly redundant. And, and years until now, what? So the, so the lies weren't true for years, but now are true. So now we have true lies. Are you, are you talking about that Schwarzenegger, Jamie Lee Curtis movie? You know, it came out, what, maybe early 90s? I don't know, I give up. And then you're talking about some experimental theory, and that theory has to do with the world in focus. Was the world out of focus before? Did you, did you just copy and paste some fucked up game of Mad Libs into the comment section? That's really how it sounds. This is very hard to follow. And then there's the, the true, two crazy sentences when you reference the bombing of uh, Hiroshima, Hiroshima, and somehow try to connect that to an alien base in the heart of the Bermuda Triangle. Did aliens bomb Hiroshima? You know, and if so, what does that have to do with the next sentence when you talk about cargo and plane disappearances? I suspect if you, if you were here with me right now and I was able to ask you these questions in person, I'd be more confused. I feel like the more I would talk to you, the more confused I would be, as would everybody else. Just, Hiroshima aliens hide in the cargo. When you think 70 decades is has miracle needs is, Chia pet, penetrate a crystal skull has. Energy rainbows, why is, Bermuda are is, can have is, haven't. What? Crystal, you end by saying that if Bermuda is miraculous, uh, which the video you left this comment under never claims, I know because I, I suffered through it, why not put bomb a superpower nuclear bomb? What the hell are you talking about? Are we supposed to bomb the Bermuda Triangle? What, what is that proof? Have you ever made sense once in your life? So confusing. Do you have a job in, the, in tech support? Did I talk to you when my Wi-Fi went down a month ago? I, I feel like I did. Oh, and by the way, uh, Hiroshima wasn't bombed, as you stated, 70 decades ago. It was seven decades ago. Uh, I hope, I hope you're not like trying to learn a second language by fucking around on YouTube. <laughs> Actually, I hope you are, because then that would make it excusable on some level. A few others pointed out how nonsensical Crystal Guerrero is, and then Crystal hits back with, at one of them with one of the strangest comebacks ever. And I hope that English is her second language. If English is her first language, oh, fuck. Ooh, she's, she's not, she's not doing great. Because she comes back with, don't say I'm uneducated which I'm assuming was supposed to be uneducated. That's sad. When you're trying to defend your education level and you can't spell the word uneducated, pay attention to school kids. Any kids listening right now, pay attention. You may not think your education is always valuable, but I promise it is. Crystal continues with, you are crazy and you don't know what your ideas is. You are a stupid Indian man. Just need, <laughs> just need bow and arrow to climb up the hills. Climb up the hills? with a, What? Since when did Indians need to climb up hills, and why would you need a bow and arrow to climb up the said hill? I'd hate to go mountaineering with this nut. Okay, everybody, let's grab our climbing gear. You're not going to make it up this hill unless you bring A, a bow, and B, arrow. Both are very important to climb with. What I like to do is I like to stand on my bowstring and shoot myself into the air like a cartoon I once saw. I shoot myself to top of hill, then I stick arrow into, into hill and so I not fall back down again, much like Indians used to do. It's his only way to climb. It is only way to be idiot of internet. Idiots of the internet. internet. Okay, let's get back to examining the Bermuda Triangle disappearances I mentioned earlier. Let's start, let's start with witchcraft, right? Let's start with that one, the witchcraft. The witchcraft was the yacht that disappeared on December 22nd, 1967, just off the coast of Miami when yachtsman Dan Burek requested Coast Guard, assist, Coast Guard assistance just a mile into the journey. Coast Guard made it to the location of the distress signal 19 miles after they called, nothing's found. 
right? So, so why did that happen? Well, we don't know. There's never been an explanation for this one. That was supposed to be X-Files theme music. I, that was shitty. I'm not going to do that anymore. Uh, so point. let's put a point on the board for mystery, all right, of the Bermuda Triangle. Point for the triangle. Uh, next up, Carol A. Deering, that five-masted commercial schooner that was found run aground off Cape Hatteras, North Carolina, 1921. No one on board. You know, that one crewed by those goddamn Scandinavians. I randomly and unjustifiably attacked so viciously earlier than apologized for. Shortly after the disappearance of this ship, it seemed like, you know, the mystery was solved on April 11th, 1921, when a man named Christopher Gray claimed to have found a message in a bottle floating in the waters of Buxton Beach, North Carolina. He swiftly turned it over to authorities, and it said, Deering, captured by oil-burning boat, something like chaser, taking off everything, handcuffing crew, crew hiding all over ship, no chance to make escape, finding or finder, please notify headquarters, Deering. However, uh, upon further investigation into this letter in a bottle, turned out Gray forged it, I guess, just to get attention or something. Uh, so that sucks. Investigators at the time, uh, while unable to find out what happened to the 11-man crew, they assumed that either a mutiny or piracy resulted in the abandonment of the ship, but no one knows for sure because the crew was never found. So point two for the triangle. Uh, then there's the Piper Navajo disappearance, man, that one that just fucking vanished a mile from the runway in St. Thomas. Well, nothing was ever found there, ever. You know, and it just and it vanished so close to the airport. How is nothing found? Just poof, gone. Definite point for mystery. Um, so uh, what about the Star Tiger? That British South American Airlines passenger plane that departed Lisbon on January 28, 1948, disappeared the next day after refueling in the Azores en route to Bermuda. Less than two hours from Bermuda, it just uh, loses contact with air traffic radio control, just vanishes. You know, after giving up its search to find the plane, the, the British Aviation Ministry investigation team released the following troubling report. In closing this report, it may truly be said that no more baffling problem has ever been presented for investigation. In the complete absence of any reliable evidence as to either the nature or the cause of the accident of Star Tiger, the court has not been able to do more than suggest possibilities, none of which reaches the level even of probability. Into all activities which involve the cooperation of man and machine, two elements enter of a very diverse character. There is an incalculable element of the human equation dependent upon imperfectly known factors, and there is the mechanical element subject to quite different laws. A breakdown may occur in either separately or in both in conjunction, or some external cause may overwhelm both man and machine. What happened in this case will never be known, and the fate of Star Tiger will remain an unsolved mystery. So point four, for sure, for mystery of the Muted Triangle. So score, four to zero. Now let's look into the disappearance of the USS Cyclops. Big Navy fuel ship carrying 10,800 tons of manganese fucking Wheaties ingredients from Brazil to Baltimore. Cyclops, it was last seen on March 4th, 1918, when it, when it stopped in the West Indies. Where did it go? I want to hear some theories. Captain Worley was hated, I guess, uh, by most of his fellow staff and officers. They accused him of being pro-German. It was actually found out later that Captain Worley was a German-born person and had a different name earlier in his life. Uh, Gottschalk. Uh, no, I'm sorry. He had a different name earlier. It was not mentioned in the article. Also, Gottschalk, the U.S. Consulate General of Rio, uh, who surprisingly boarded the ship along with 73 other local sailors, was uh, very popular among the German community in Brazil. Uh, since U.S. war with Germany already had broken out by then, did the captain and Gottschalk commit sabotage and sink the ship full of needed wartime metal, or did they just take it all the way to Germany? Another possibility is that the Cyclops was overloaded with manganese plus fuel and many persons aboard, and that the load was more than the ship was designed to handle. 
A heavy mid-oceanic storm could have hit the ship and just overturned it, sinking it and its heavy cargo to the bottom of the ocean. But wreckage has never been found, so who knows? Or maybe the ship was blasted by a German underwater mine or torpedoed by a German sub. The U.S. Navy claims that such possibility does not exist if the ship had been on its right course. However, had the ship uh, deviated from its course, there was a high possibility that that could have happened. So, uh, who knows? I'm going to move the score to 5-0 to zero in favor of the triangle. Now we've got the James P. Chester, the schooner, the ship that turned up without a crew on February 28, 1855 in the general vicinity of the Azores, the one taken to Albert Docks in Liverpool to be the spooky tourist at- attraction, the one, the one taken by Black Timmy. Well, the answer to this mystery was found in the archives of the New York Times. On April 3rd, the news that the marathon uh, found uh, the Chester, this is back, you know, uh, April 3rd, 1855, uh, reaches New York. The cargo is valued at 150 grand. Turns out someone had tried to bore holes into the hole. Two of three lifeboats were missing. It's believed that the crew murdered the captain, fled in the boats. Uh, an- another article on the same page reports that the crew of the James Cheston, uh, Chester uh, was picked up by the schooner Two Friends on March 15th. Then on April 6th, the owners are notified that the captain arrives in Wilmington, Delaware. On April 10th, Eight crew members of the Chester, and these are all different articles, uh, disembarked from the Dutch ship Two Friends in Savannah on April 7th and were arrested for murder. On April 11th, two, two crew members testified that the captain was sick, bored holes into the hole with mates, and offered hush money to other crew members. One sailor states that there was only one foot of water in the hold, not seven as the log claims. Captain White of the Chester arrives in Boston and denies any knowledge of the holes in the hole and asserts the crew abandoned the ship because she was in danger of sinking. April 12th, Captain White and the mates Chasen and Packwood are arrested for baratry, which is an old term for uh, a seafaring crime, which means fraud or gross negligence of a ship's master or crew at the expense of its owners or users. Six crew members testify that there was only one foot of water in the hold and that nothing else was wrong with the ship. This article hints that rum may be to blame for the whole affair. April 13th, the two mates accused the captain of unnecessarily abandoning the ship as there was only a foot of water in the hold and she was seaworthy. A crewman calls the voyage uh, a Bacchanalian frolic. So finally, an answer. I, don't, I, didn't, I wasn't able to find out if he actually got uh, you know, convicted, but uh, the crew did not disappear. Sounds like they got hammered. The captain tried to sink the ship for some reason, maybe to steal that $150,000 cargo. Uh, so finally, this point goes to uh, dirtbag humans and alcohol. Last mystery, the big one, Flight 19. What happened to those five planes? You know, the five TBM Avenger torpedo bombers that left the Naval Air Station in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, uh, Florida on 2.10 p.m. on December 5th, 1945, on that routine, routine training flight that all completed numerous times before, and then they get disorientated, lost, and vanish. Well, the most likely scenario is that the planes eventually ran out of gas and ditched into the ocean somewhere off the coast of Florida, leaving any survivors at the mercy of rough seas and deep water uh, 1991, a group of treasure hunters seemed to have finally solved the puzzle when they stumbled upon the, uh, the watery graves of five World War II-era Avengers near Fort Lauderdale. Sounds good, right? Sounds like a wrap-up. Nope. Unfortunately, it was later found that the hulks of, of these belonged to a different group of Navy planes whose serial numbers did not match those of the fabled Lost Patrol. Uh, many believe the wrecks of Flight 19 and its doomed rescue plane may still lurk somewhere in the Bermuda Triangle, but while the search continues to this day, no definitive signs of the six aircraft, uh, or, you know, because there was that extra one that went looking for them, or of the 27 total crewmen have ever been found. So another point for mystery, another point for the unknown, 6-1 final tally for mystery of those seven disappearances. So what do we learn? Well, I think we learned that Bruce Gernon is full of shit, 
did not fly through a, a time tunnel or electric fog, as he also called it. Uh, we learned that statistically, planes and ships don't go missing in the Bermuda Triangle any more than anywhere else. But we also learned that ships and planes do go missing in the Bermuda Triangle, sometimes in very strange and unsettling ways. We learned that maybe there is some type of electromagnetic interference that goes on out there, uh, as it does in other parts of the world. And, and we learned that despite all of your advance, uh, all of our advancements in technology, there's still a lot of mystery on Earth, you know? As advanced as our civilizations have become, we still don't have all the answers. And I, and I think that's pretty cool, actually. I hope we never get them all. I hope we always keep at least a, some, some element of mystery in our, in our lives. What fun would life be if we took all the mystery out of it? Okay, time for one more look back with some top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one. In February of 1964, Vincent Gaddis used the term Bermuda Triangle in a cover story for Argosy Magazine regarding the disappearance of Flight 19 titled The Deadly Bermuda Triangle, and people have been talking about its mysteries ever since. Number two, hens and chicken shoals off the South Florida coast is where sea chickens come from, those delicious amphibious waterfowl that taste remarkably like chicken. Number three, the scientific community's general consensus regarding the Bermuda Triangle disappearances is that there is no such thing as the Bermuda Triangle. It's just a fabricated geographical area. It's all a bunch of bullshit, and things don't mis uh, mysteriously disappear in the Bermuda Triangle. Things mysteriously disappear everywhere. Well, thanks, scientist. That's more disconcerting, not reassuring. Number four, highly unlikely that a methane gas eruption has sunk a ship or blown up a plane, but very likely methane gas eruptions will be the disaster premise for a future shitty sci-fi channel movie uh, sometime in, in, in the near future. Number five, new info. In 1970, a doctor slash utter lunatic named Dr. Ray Brown claimed to locate a crystal pyramid on the seafloor. Remember that? That fucking David Icke referenced? He claimed to uh, locate a crystal pyramid on the seafloor approximately 100 miles from uh, Bimini, or Bimini uh, that he attributed to the lost city of Atlantis. And then other maniacs believed him and convinced themselves that this crystal pyramid was used to store energy for the Atlanteans. And now morons like Crystal Guerrero still believe in this pyramid uh, that no one has actually ever found because it doesn't exist. But listen, <laughs> but listen to this liar talk about it on an episode of In Search Of, a show about mysteries hosted by Spock, uh, hosted by Leonard Nimoy from 1976 to 1982. This is, this is something else. Then Dr. Brown reported that he came across the most magnificent find of all. Uh -huh. In the murkiness, he <laughs> spotted the tip of a submerged pyramid, sure barely visible above the ocean floor. Okay. Looking at the structure, shape, and the size, it would be approximately 400 feet tall. Uh, I went in an opening, uh -uh. and in this opening, in the center of the room, there was a pedestal. No, there wasn't. And on the pedestal were two human hands, uh -uh. brass or bronze. And in the center of the hands was the crystal. My first uh, impression in the, in the room was the uh, shaft that was metallic, hanging straight down from the ceiling, pointing mm. at the crystal. And it was gold color. I swam, because it was still, the room was full of water, I mm -hmm. swam up to the ceiling and tried to pry the uh, rod loose. Mm. It wouldn't budge, so I settled back down to the floor. And I reached my hand in between the fingers of the uh, metal hands, and I found the crystal was loose. And it was the only thing in the room that I could take home. 
shut the fuck. And then they show a picture of this silly looking little crystal with a little triangle in it. Oh yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure that little crystal has been examined by the scientific community and like, oh yeah, no, this is for sure. Thousands of years old. I'm sure it's like a, a three months old and there's a receipt where you had it fucking custom built at some chintzy little gift shop. <laughs> you jet, this guy looks like such a jackass. Oh man. I'm not sure what, uh, old Dr. Ray Brown's doctorate is in, but I'm guessing bullshit. Uh, I'm guessing in pathological line, you know, he's, he's a, he's a slap a salmon, punch a bear dude. If I've ever seen one time suck top five takeaways. Well, thanks for listening. That was a nice silly one, man. I needed that after the darkness we marched through the past few weeks. Uh, next, uh, Monday though is October 30th at the coming Monday. So we're going to get dark again. It's the last episode, uh, last episode before Halloween. And, uh, and we're going to talk about the shadow people. I have a feeling it's going to get creepy as shit. Number of religions, legends, and belief systems describe shadowy spiritual beings or supernatural entities such as shades of the underworld and various shadowy creatures have long been a staple of folklore and ghost stories. Native American folklore references uh, the existence of shadow people. Paranormal investigators uh, talk about them as well. And some people claim to have been attacked by them. Uh, where do these stories come from? I suspect we'll come up with some non-paranormal answers that will make sense, but that uh, also will scare the hell out of myself. And I'll be seeing things in the corners of my fucking eyes. I'll be seeing things in dark corners of rooms for quite a while after finishing that episode, I'm sure. I should probably record it at night again, like I did with Amityville, so I can, you know, project some real fear that I feel (laughs) into the episode. So that's uh, Monday, October 30th. Thanks to Damien uh, Savangino, Dennis V, Angie Lott, Stephen uh, Zapf, Ryan uh, Killa, uh, Kilo. I don't fucking know. K-I-L-L-O-U-G-H. Sean Davis, Will Butler, Kyle Nutter, Richard Brockman, Peter Dahlberg, Joel Morris, and so many other time suckers. uh, I know who I I, I missed in finding uh, your request for this topic. A lot of others requested as well. Hope you guys all enjoyed it as much as I did. Thanks again to time sucker Sydney Shives for keeping track of all the email topics and more. Thanks to all of you who have started to follow the show on social media, at Time Suck Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you know, so you can have a uh, find, you know, touring announcements, episode trivia, previews of Time Suck, artwork, merch, other fun stuff. Thanks to all those who came out to Bananas Comedy Club in Jersey this past weekend. I will for sure try to find a different venue to play in the New York City area next time, man. Nice staff there. And and they're, and they're getting new ownership, and I, and I like the new owner, so the club may improve. But, ooh, wow, weird gig, weird atmosphere. Feel like I was performing in an Elks Lodge in 1985, or as one time sucker, an audience member said who was there, felt like a Rotary Club meeting. I didn't realize it was just gonna be a fucking hotel meeting room. It's like a, it's been a comedy club forever. I thought it was like a real club, like I'm used to performing in. Yeah. So if you're there, yeah, you know what I mean. Strange. Uh, thanks for all uh, the Amazon purchases made via timesuckpodcast.com for the store purchases of Time Suck hats, tees, signed books, CDs. All that helps so much, man. Just got more sizes back in stock of various T-shirts uh, made out of imported muskrat labia, uh, unicorn scrotum, imported koala anus, bald eagle feathers. Still got those uh, Komodo dragon toenail and turtle wiener hats. And still got those stickers made out of grizzly bear foreskin. So, so much imported animal goodness worked in, <laughs> into the merch. And, and we'll get uh, more merch eventually. Just been focusing on uh, all my extra energy on, on staying on, trying to, uh, on top of logo revision with Danger Brain, app development, app artwork recently. All of that in the shop at timesuckpodcast.com. All right, let's catch up on previous episodes with some Time Sucker updates. Updates. Get your Time Sucker updates. All right, all right. The first update is JFK 
uh, update, JFK assassination, uh, assassination update. This one came in from Time Sucker Joshua Russell. I know others wrote in as well. Uh, Joshua says, Hail Prophet of Nimrod, according to multiple news sources, on October 26th of this year, around 10,000 of the remaining documents held by the National Archives are set to be released. From what I've read, the only person who can block the reveal is the president, who can block it for up to 25 years. According to a curator of the archives, the plan is to upload and release all of them at the same time on the same day. So with that amount of rapid information, don't expect to see any real info to be revealed worth any substance for a while. But I'm hoping to hear some juicy info from it. Hoping for the CIA conspiracy to be real. That would be equally fucked up and great. Apparently, some in the CIA are trying to prevent the document reveal. So maybe it's true. Uh, yeah, and, and apparently, you know, Trump has uh, uh, no plans to with, withhold this. I mean, he kind of like left some caveat, some weird wording where he's like, he technically could maybe change his mind, which I guess, you know, anybody could, but it looks like he is going to reveal it. Man, I really do hope that happens. You know, I I doubt if it's anything super juicy that we're going to get it. Like, I feel like that again, like I said that before, I think last week that it would make the the paper shredder, but who knows, who knows? Maybe we really will get this CIA uh, documents, you know, uh, like the real ones and find out what actually happened to JFK and maybe it'll be mind blowing. That'd be fucking awesome. So I think I updated this last week as well, but it's just, it's so cool. I wanted to hit it again. Amityville update from time sucker with the email handle of kid vicious. My Lord master sucker prophet of the almighty Bojangles. I'm listening to the Amityville episode in the daylight at the public library with a very steady Wi-Fi signal. And this is the only segment of any podcast that I've had technical issues with. I've had to reset my iPad approximately six times in an hour. I don't believe in the hauntings at all, but, you know, you mentioned your tech tr- trouble. thought I'd mention mine. Not trying to scare anyone, but weird shit happened playing this episode that never happened before. I'm going to pray extra hard to Bojangles. And thanks for helping me during the California fires. Please let the firefighters know how much we appreciate them saving us. Love the suck. Definitely sending positive thoughts to time suckers who've endured the horrific fires in North Central California and those, you know, awesome, literally life-saving firefighters. Thanks for doing what you do. Uh, if you'd like to help out the victims of the California wildfires, there are many places you can donate. GoFundMe has a list of verified fire relief crowdfunding campaigns. You can go to www.gofundme.com slash raise dash funds slash CA fire relief. I'll put the link up in the episode description and so many other places you can donate if you'd like. And yeah, man, Amityville stuff. I, I, I actually have got other emails from other listeners that had weird shit go on when they were listening. My cousin said some weird stuff when I, I mean... Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Again, I'm I'm right with you, man. I don't I think I don't believe in that stuff, but sometimes sometimes I get freaked out and it's interesting that a bunch of weird shit happened around that episode. Another Amityville update. Dan, like you, I absolutely believe Butch DeFeo killed his family and I'm baffled by the fact that they were all in bed with no sign of them trying to run. Here's another oddball thing. Butch fired uh eight shots total from a Marlin 336 lever action revival uh, rifle revival um yeah that 35 marlin i guess it's also called maybe a 336 lever is the specific type of 35 marlin 35 caliber marlin with a magazine capacity of six rounds so at most he could have had six in the magazine and one in the chamber to start the killing so that means he had to pause at least once to reload uh yeah giving just the slightest moment added to the time for anyone to wake up run or try to fight back but yet nothing the mystery of how he killed them all in bed is still the most baffling part of the case to me hail nimrod Stephen clan well, thanks for pointing out the magazine capacity, which makes me, you know, uh, even more interested in that. Like, how did no one wake up? That's the part that by far creeps me out the most about the Amityville thing. You know, th- this guy, he, he shot, what, six people, he, and, and he had to reload, and, and the last victim still sleeps through all that? It, does, it makes no sense. Weird for the neighbors not to hear those gunshots. Preposterous that the victims of the house, the last victims did not hear them. 
Uh, and then just an interesting update from Nick Glazer. Dear Suck King Dan, thank you for your episode of the Mandela Effect. I now realize that I had been under its spell for a while because I had heard of it many times and had a false memory of understanding it. I am now certain that I never really did. I'm now certain in a way that I never really did until you explained it. It's helped me in many ways. I have a tumultuous relationship with my parents, and they don't deserve it. They're really, really good people who care a lot about doing the right thing whenever they can, but I've been mad at them for years over some petty shit. Your episode made me realize that I've been pushing them away for decades over something that probably didn't even happen the way I remember it. I sat in silence after listening and thought long and hard about my life and decided that it was time to apologize to my folks and forgive them and get this monkey off my back. I haven't done that yet, but thanks to the Mandela effect, I have a distinct—I have a distinct memory that I did do that, and I l- no longer feel bad about it. Thanks, time suck, Nick Ola sucker. Ah, <laughs> uh, I just had to share that with you guys because that fucking cracked me up. Well played, Nick. A little payback for me misdirecting you guys all the time. I hope you bought that sea chicken shit today for a little bit. Little bit. Uh, you really got me with that one. I thought that was a—I thought it was a heartfelt email uh, until the end. So well played, well played. That was a nice misdirect. And, uh, and now, finally, we'll end on a cool email from Time Sucker Brian Stewart showing how diverse the suck community is becoming. Oh, thou that sucketh most. I've been a devout suckhead since I caught your act in Jacksonville this past spring. Uh, I'm a bit behind. Just finished the Texas Rangers today, but I suck as hard and frequent as I can. Most times, twice a day on my way to and from work. Breaking into spontaneous laughter is not uncommon, as are the weird looks I get from fellow travelers. But hey, it curves my road rage, so there's a plus. I worked for a local state college, and in the assessment center the other day, I was giving pre-test instructions. One of the little nose miners in the room decided he wanted to correct me on something otherwise trivial. When he was done, I just looked at him squarely and said, thanks, I needed that. Before I knew it, from the back of the room, I heard, we all did, in a hushed tone. I I looked up, meeting the surprised gaze of the embarrassed youth, and half-smiled, trying not to bust a gut. It was as if we were sharing a telepathic language, not unlike the lizard Illuminati. This past weekend, I shared the suck with my parents, but I doubt they listened past episode one. They just wouldn't appreciate your flair with expletives. Their loss. It will probably be a while before uh, I hear this if you read it in the Time Sucker updates, but I will catch up. Thanks and keep on sucking as only you can, Brian. I love that so much, Brian, man. Building a secret world. The secret world of Time Suckers, future space lizards, and it's spreading. Both teacher and student getting down with the suck. I love hearing that shit. Oh, it's great. I, under- I do understand, by the way, the expletives. Not for everyone, but you know what? Oh, well. Oh, well, we'll find the people who, who are okay with it. Uh, I do hope you hear this update down the road, Brian. Thank you so much for sharing it, and thanks for sucking so hard, everybody. Thanks, time suckers. I needed that. We all did. All right, everyone, have a great week. Thanks for spreading this suck to your friends, to your coworkers, right, on, on the web, on social media. Keep on sucking, man. You know, just keep it going. Keep it going minute by minute by minute. I keep holding on. I keep holding on. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? 
It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 Brand Spark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated.